Hey folks, Randy Newberg here with the next episode of Hunt Talk Radio, which many of you know as Randy Newberg Unfiltered. Um, I try to be a little bit filtered, but when you're doing a podcast, hey, let's face it, there's times you go a little unfiltered. But today I have two great guests with me. Um, I've hunted with both of them. Uh, I hope they never tell the world about how I hunt and what an inept hunter I am because both hunts I've done with them were some of our most brutal hunts and I kind of felt like I was picking up the rear here in those hunts but oh well I'm accustomed to being the guy in the back of the train instead of the guy in the lead so but anyhow with me are two guys from a company that if you watch our show, if you read what Randy writes, you know I'm a huge fan of loophole Optics. And I'm going to say a lot of reasons why I am. One is just out of habit. I think the first rifle I had that had a loophole scope on it was, let's see, I think I was 15, so that would have been 1979. So it's not like Randy just became a loophole fan when he started a TV show. And with me is the CEO of Leupold, Bruce Pettit, and their Vice President of Product Development, Tim Lesser. So, guys, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're uh, excited to uh, do this podcast uh, with you, Randy. Yeah, well, we're going to get into a lot of things. So, like I told you in advance, there's nothing that we can talk about. If you guys want to tell the public about, hey, you should see Randy when he gets mad, or you should see Randy when he falls down... <laughs> Go right ahead. I, I mean, uh, that, that's part of what I put myself out there to 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 be criticized or laughed at. Um, but yeah, you know, the goal of having Bruce and Tim on this podcast isn't necessarily to sit here and tell you everything about the loophole world because most of you who listen know the quality, the brand, the history. But at the the uh, I guess risk of being redundant to some of our our listeners who already know that, Bruce. When did Leupold start? 1907? 1908. 1908. Yeah. Okay. So we're proud to to have an incredible heritage. Um, You know, we've been been actually making rifle scopes for 70 years. Wow. Yeah. 70 years. 70 years in America. 1945. Yeah, Yeah, so we're still in Oregon. We started in in Oregon. Um, We have our factory there. We have, you know, just under 700 employees we make rifle scopes seven days a week. Yeah. Um, so we're making rifle scopes right now. Yeah. And uh, now a lot of that's driven by just the passion our our employees have for for our brand and for what we do. Um, you know, I, I think we have 15 employees that have over 40 years of service. We've got another almost 40 employees that have over 30 years of service. Wow. And so when you have that kind of knowledge and commitment, it just it allows you to. Yeah, you know, frankly, do things and have a knowledge base that that no one else has. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's pretty yeah. special. Yeah, and a family-owned business. Family-owned, yes. Yeah, so we're in our fifth generation of family ownership. You, you don't see that very often. No, it's uh, you know, for me as uh, as the CEO of the company, one of the one of the most powerful things is having the ability to uh, run a company that focuses on creating value for generations yeah, and not just the next quarter. And right. I, I think a lot of companies struggle, you know, because they got to make this, this monthly number, this quarterly number because, and, and I, I, honestly, our shareholders just aren't about that. They, they really care about how are we building 
you know, value for our, our customers, for our consumers for the long run. Yeah. And it helps you to make great long-term decisions when you do that. Right. You, you, your horizon is not, like you said, next week or next quarter. Yeah. It's five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's just changes the game a lot. And it makes us a lot more difficult for our competitors to deal with because we're really focusing on the long run and right. making investments long run. We, you know, I don't, I don't mind saying we own our own property. We're, we're a conservative company. We own all our own equipment. Yeah. Uh, we have very, very little debt. So we don't have to, you know, do some of the things that a company that is leveraged has to do. We just can operate in a way that is, is really unique. You yeah. know, we, we talk about being a uniquely American company um, as a performance uh, optics maker. And no one else, no one else does what we do. Yeah. Well, I, I got the benefit of last June coming over to the factory in Beaverton, and Tim and I spent some time. I, I felt like I was in the room of the mad scientist there. <laughs> Tim sees me walk by, and he kind of takes his index finger and points me over. Hey, you got to look at this. And I walk into Tim's office, and. There are new gadgets and gizmos of every way, shape, and design. I thought it was like, well, I don't know if any viewers used to watch Buck Rogers. <laughs> I'm dating myself by saying something like that. So That's but, way too uh, old for me, Randy. I'll tell you that. Uh -oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, Tim is like the mad scientist of this. And one of the things that impressed me, both on the factory tour, but when we hunted Tim, is that loophole is about hunters and shooters and it's not a bunch of engineers and bean counters who don't get the hunting world i mean your background is hunting yeah yeah it's um you know it's one of the things about the culture that we have there that that you know plays into that being a unique company is uh, the vast majority of folks in, in that building are hunters and they've been lifelong hunters. And so when you're immersed in it and you have that savviness there, everybody can kind of play off of each other. And, you you know, it really helps the creative process when everyone from, you know, the design team to the to those that make it manufacturable, uh, assembly, etc., cetera, uh, when they all get it all the way through. So when you're building a team to come out with something new or, or you know, enhance something that's already there, you've got every angle covered by a group of, of people that are true experts in, in not only their field, but in being outside and using it. Yeah. And uh, it gives us, a, it's a huge advantage. It's a great place to work. You get to, you can just say, I, you know, I, I'm envisioning something like this and the team takes it and, and runs with it. You don't, because have to, you don't have to lay it out. They know. They know. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they understand the application and, and the fun part for me, and this is if there's one benefit of doing outdoor TV, it's when Tim Lesser sends you a package that says loophole on it and says, don't tell anyone about this, but see if you can break it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and awesome. and uh, I, I do get the inside on a few products and I, I'm very appreciative that you guys trust me enough to let me give some input and, and take things and beat on them and, and thump them and drop them out of the back of my truck and fall down mountains with them. <laughs> and uh, it, it's just interesting to see your guys' approach to quality. Um, it comes through in the product, but when I was doing the factory tour, and if I know you guys don't want me to inundate you with people wanting factory tours. <laughs> But if anyone went through that factory and saw how many processes you have, how many how many components go into a rifle scope? Like two hundred and forty. Yeah, or something it, it depends like? on yeah. the scope, but it, it depends yeah. on the scope. But you know, 
a yeah. VX6 with that with a six timer Rector will have over a couple hundred parts. Yeah, and we make them there. And yeah. to see the quality control processes that you guys were doing, and then what was the down in the bottom there? It is like a dungeon. You got some crazy engineer down there that's got this <laughs> big smashing device, and he mounts all those scopes on there, and it. I can't even remember how many G's it is, but uh, it's a lot. Yeah, uh, you know. So we, we we have a published number, right? And uh, and we we exceed that. To be frank, you know, we want to we yeah. want to make sure that there's a, a cushion in there. But what we're trying to do as a very minimum baseline test is replicate ten thousand hits from a six pound three seventy five. Um, and so three seventy five H and H that weighs six pounds. Yep. That would cause you to lose your dentures in most instances it, uh, yeah when you, when you get a when you get a rifle with that recoil at that weight right that's right. the thing is it changes yeah. that that dynamic of the of the gun coming back and there's the torque that happens from the rifling and right you know not only does it come back but it comes up so you've got a real three-dimensional recoil that, that you're trying to solve for and uh, we, we couldn't find people that were willing to sit and shoot a 375 <laughs> for 10,000 10, rounds. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we had that equipment specially made for us. Uh, yeah. and it replicates the exact recoil of about any, any firearm that's out there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if we're going to be working on a military contract, as an example, and we know exactly what it's going on, uh, we can show them a lifetime of use over the period of, you know, a week. Yeah. And, and we can watch that and we check it all the way through. Uh, not only are we impacting it, but we're still checking for water integrity and is it holding point of aim all the way through. Uh, and it just, it, you, you know, having the ability to test everything like that ahead of time yeah. is great. But we still need to get it out to you and get it out in the field because, uh, you know, we, we warrant these things forever. Right. And, and we don't want them to come back. We, we'll stand behind it if it happens. But when you're on top of a mountain, you know, like right. where we were, when we're in there after that, after that deer when I hunted with you, if my scope had had, had a problem, right. FedEx isn't going to bring me a new one right there. <laughs> yeah. So we, we need it to work, you right. know, not just just replace it when it doesn't. Right? Right. So yeah, and so when you run a company, and this is kind of at you, Bruce, when you run a company that uses the slogan "loophole for life," that that's kind of sticking your neck out there to say, I don't care if you bought it or someone else bought it. If it has our gold ring on it. We're going to fix it or replace it. Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a non-negotiable thing for us. It's a, a part of our history. Uh, Marcus Leupold, you know, was, was really clear about what it meant to have a gold ring on a, on a, on a scope. And, and, and that's really set a template for the overall quality of, of our product. And we, um, you know, we do everything we can to make sure that when that product leaves our factory, it is absolutely the best quality in the world, period. Right. And, you know, we believe American optics are the best optics right. in the world. And so we, we, and we want to prove that. But, but the, when, when it comes down to it, it's, it's the lifetime warranty that we have is, you know, if you, if you hand your scope down to your son and 20 years from now something goes wrong, yeah. we'll, still, we'll still replace that scope or we'll fix it, right. wh- whatever it takes. And so, you know, we really take that seriously. Um, loophole for life and and yeah. um, it's worked for us right you know it's it's worked really well yeah. but if the quality wasn't there and you offered that kind of a warranty you wouldn't be in business very long well we you know we set that standard and and uh and we've seen some folks follow us on offering different warranties and i think they kind of had to based on ours and you know we know the return rates ours yeah. is less than one half of one percent 
Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any of our competitors that are even close to that. Yeah. And, um, and you know what? We're not even happy with that one half of 1%. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, that, that's moving the bar even higher. Yeah. Then. So, so we just, you know, that's just a passion. We, we have, you know, I, I, there's not every single, we, we talk about, um, our real, you know, what really kind of motivates our, our team and our company as a whole is about creating epic moments. Yeah. And what we mean by that is that we work to create epic moments. And, and of the 700 of us, they're not all hunters and shooters. Most of them are. Right. But we have a lot of folks in there that are just really the quality thing and this guaranteed for life, loophole for life, that motivates them. Yeah. That motivates them to do a job at a level because they are passionate about that epic moment, whether it's you and I in the field together, or frankly, you know, and more importantly, honestly, you know, we supply a lot of optics to a lot of operators in our military that are in places that we don't even know about. Right. And um, I'll yep. sometimes get those letters from thanking us for the fact that, you know, a scope had been, you know, dropped and, and fell down this or that, and they put it up and engaged, and it was still dead on. Yeah. You know, and, and that, that our team gets really motivated about because that's a whole nother level of an epic moment. Exactly. And that, when I was at the factory for that week, I, I, and I guess this is because I'm a hunter, I did not realize how much military stuff you guys are working on and how much military involvement you guys have. How, and and I, Tim, you're telling me how some of that I'll call it top. I'm going to say top secret. It probably isn't top secret, but how your military in, uh, products and research migrate over to what we in the field and on the bench get to take advantage of. Yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. You know, we're working with uh, the groups that are at the the top of the pyramid, right? And and their needs and their use cases are more extreme than than we're going to see. Right. Uh, whether it's temperatures or, or just the environment, you know, they, they need to survive blasts. Occasionally those things happen, right? You know, the mm -hmm. uh, IEDs happen. And, right. and so what we're doing is working with them daily uh, to, to make sure we know what their needs are. And then how do we apply that to the product to make sure it's going to survive what that is? And it, and it changes. So, uh, you know, over time, when we first started making rifle scopes, the need was a little bit different. And we just continue to improve on that. You never you never change where you, what you've been doing so far, but you keep adding to it. So they're getting better and better and better every day. Uh, and it's it's just that's job one right yeah. there. It, it has to it has to work for those folks. And then we'll take what we learn there as we're going forward. And of course, that that migrates right across to all the way through our line, whether it's a a VX1 or a VX6 or a Mark IV or a Mark VI. Yeah. You know, we, we want to make sure they all they they all work regardless of the situation. Yeah. Well, it it was just impressive to me. Some of, and you guys have quite a few military people working for you who yeah. who come to Leopold and mm -hmm. they <laughs> they've been there done it. Let's put it that's that right. way. Yeah. And uh, well, <clears throat> that's for me anyhow. I mean, when when I I guess the factory visit last summer confirmed everything that comes from, you know, 35 years of owning your products, eight years of promoting them on a TV show and seeing what it was. And I told you this, Bruce, when I left, I said, every person who you know needs that factory tour because it, it, you, you, until you go and see what goes into it and you talk to the people who are making it, it just, 
you know, I can talk about it all I want and I can put it on TV or on video. It's not going to drive it home to the degree of being there, seeing it, watching it and seeing it. I mean, the, the, the one person there, they were doing this, I don't know, as a water test or a waterproof testing thing. Mm -hmm. And they were explaining to me how, uh, to what degree that test took that product. I'm like, well, who's ever going to put their rifle scope to that degree? I mean, what are you going to do, drag it along behind a submarine or something, you know, 10,000 feet below? But, well, you know, I mean, the, the, the thing is, is that part of what Tim was saying about the, you know, the kind of our elite military and, and dealing with them, and we don't, we, we don't publicize that to the extent for obvious reasons, um, but they have requirements, you know. They, they do get in situations where they're underwater or they're in situations where they're exposed to a, a ton of, and, and it just simply has to work there. And um, if you knew how many, I mean, we really don't let it get out the factory, out of our factory unless it meets those requirements. Right. And so it, the way we look at it though is, it's why we're, it's really difficult for anyone to replicate what we do. They can talk a good game or they can try to do it, and, but generally um, our process of craftsmanship it yeah. isn't, here's a machine, let's go look at this machine and it spits it out. You saw that, right? right. You saw how even with the incredibly, um, inc inc incredible amount of sophisticated equipment we have, we still touch it a lot, right? right. Because we've got these craftsmen looking at it and, and, and constantly, it's got to be perfect. Yep. And there's a whole bunch of other things that we have that are proprietary that no one has that, that is in how we make it, how it comes together and the lubricants we, we use and things that... We figured out over 70 years, right? <laughs> and we aren't going to tell anybody. Can <laughs> <laughs> you imagine that? Huh? <laughs> and so it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty neat neat thing, yeah. that, that craftsmanship piece. It's not just a piece of equipment that does it. Right. It's and, people. And that, that, I'll, I'll admit, that surprised me. I thought a rifle scope was so simple you could just put it in a machine and the machine would assemble it. No way. I, you guys have just... A bank of very qualified people there. Everyone has their own little job. And after their job, then there's like three people checking their work to make mm -hmm. sure before it goes on to the next process. Yeah. So it, for me, it, it was an eye-opener because I thought, well, these are just like widgets. You throw them together and no, not that way. But. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenge for us in a lot of ways because um, we, you know, our employee, we have to really train. We, we have a skills development program in place that, that we really have to train our folks over time. When they first come in, it's very hard for us, we can't frankly, find someone who can come in and automatically do it the loophole way. Right. Right? And it just doesn't, it, and so we have to have set programs that when they come, that's why retention is so important for us, you know, and average employees 12 years yeah. uh, with us. And, and, um, and, and so we've got to make sure that we're training them and that we're, we're getting those. We're, we're starting to work with some of our, our local schools in Oregon to try and get, you know, if they just did this, it would be, you know, they would be closer yeah. um, in terms of their skill set. But it takes uh, that internal knowledge we have and that being passed down from, from these craftsmen. Yeah. It's kind of neat. Yeah, it is. It's because, neat. you know, once somebody gets one of those jobs that's been trained, they're there, right. you know. They got a great job, and yeah. it's it, it it it's lasting. So, and it's also probably a competitive advantage to Huge. have that quality of, yeah. of people there. But 
So before we get into telling hunting stories, when I'm probably going to have to leave the room out of embarrassment, um, <laughs> right, Tim, we when we were out mule deer hunting in Montana two years ago, we we talked about and this is an accountant, you know, being being a CPA in my other job, I'm going to completely murder this concept about how this works. But you were talking to me about kind of light transmission how all this works how how you really bring this together in a way that is a lot more complex than just the guy at the counter who hands a scope to somebody in the broad daylight with all the light in the yep. in the sporting goods store and says oh yeah this one's just as good i mean we're worried about anyone can make something look decent at high noon yeah. Let's talk about that last hour and that first hour, that last half hour, that first half hour of light. And that gets to the concept of you're you're gonna hopefully tell the audience what you told me on the mountain that <laughs> yep. day that I I would just mess up if I <laughs> talked about it. So Yeah, you know, it's a it's a tough thing whether it's in the lab, you know, we've got multiple optics labs where we can test these things, but uh, whether you're in the lab or you're in a store, uh, you know, at a retailer, looking through a scope or a binocular or a spotting scope it's tough to quantify what is that how is it really going to perform yeah we, we talk about you know that last five ten minutes in that first five or ten minutes uh, and the perception is that you need highlight transmission that'll yeah. do it let more light through uh, it's not bouncing off of the lenses so it's lens coatings uh, you'll have a nice bright image the the issue there is the amount of usable light and the contrast and, and a number of things. And so there's, there's really kind of three biggies that we focus on. Uh, and so that's level light transmission um, across the entire visible spectrum. So uh, w when it's first thing in the morning or last thing at, at night, there are more blues and reds uh, in, the, in the visible spectrum at yep. that time of the day. Okay. Um, that's also where your eye is least sensitive. And so you're getting uh, a lower... It's low light to begin with. Your eye is less sensitive to those wavelengths. And then to combine that with most lens coatings, uh, kind of filter that out. So if you look at a curve of, of light transmission on a scope, it'll be real high in the middle in most cases. And that's right. kind of the green section. That's the middle of the day. Uh, and that's great. But everybody can everybody has enough light at noon. It's, yeah. it's that first little <laughs> bit, right? Yeah. And then to, to compound the issue, now you're looking towards a timber line. The sun has set or is setting behind the trees, so you've got the you know those big critters. They don't step out of there at noon. Right, you know, they're they're timbered yeah. up, and uh, you know we're sitting watching that you know watching over a clearing, looking down in there. And when those when those deer are moving around on the timberline edge or just back inside of it, in the shadow, we saw it right. You know the yeah. the sun is setting behind it, which is beautiful. You've got the the clouds are lit up, and you can you know it makes for a real pretty scene. It also makes it really hard to see into that timber because right. you've got glare coming through. Right, backlighting. Yeah. Yep. And so we focus on glare, on contrast, and on level light transmission across the board. And what that does, uh, if you think about, you know, on just on your phone, you can auto-correct a lot of your images right, right. there, right? And you, it's red eye reduction. It, what it, we're doing, if you know how to run a smartphone. <laughs> I, I, present company excluded. But anyhow, didn't mean to interrupt. No, no. It's... <laughs> You know, there, there's photo editing software out there, and you see the difference. It's this new thing. It's on a computer. Right. Oh, I'll, okay. I'll show you sometime. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, what we're doing is essentially putting an autocorrect right into that, 
right into the scope. And we do that through lens coatings. We do it through optical design. Uh, it's not as simple as just slapping a new coating on there. It's lens placement, it's lens material, uh, indexes of refraction. You know, there's a lot of science that goes into that. But it also is related to how you manufacture the internal components. Uh, we don't want glare getting through to your eye. Um, and this will probably date me a little bit, but if you think about it, kind of the, the analogy I used there was when, when people used to use slide projectors, right? You'd, yeah. you'd darken the room and then you could see it up on the, on the wall. Right, yeah. Well, Someone the light, hit the lights. Yeah, and if, yeah. if the lights are on, there's technically more light hitting that screen. Right. But the image is washed out. And so you kill the lights so it doesn't wash out the off-axis light. That's what we're doing with that lens design and with coatings and with the manufacturing process. And so it really lets you reach into that darkness farther and clearly see what it is. You may be able to make out a dark mass, but right. where do I hold and, and you know, with a right. binocular, is it that buck? Is it right. the right one? I need to see tines that are back in the brush. And so we focus a lot on, on what we call light management, not light transmission. Huh. Um, and it's, the, end, the end result makes a big difference. I, I am really glad that Tim said that because if, if the accountant would have tried to decipher or translate what that, that's what tim told me on the mountain a little over a year ago and he probably thought i was, i'd fallen asleep because i was trying to absorb it all and uh it, it made a lot of sense and it, it still makes a lot of sense which i guess it what it does for me is it shows just how complex the entire process is of what i need out in the field compared to how simple I thought it was to make something that accounts for all the stuff mm -hmm. you just talked about. It's, it's, it's difficult to make and it's easy to see in the field if you've, you know, I, I'm fortunate I can bring all kinds of different optics out there and test them, but when I was guiding, it was where I would really started to know this. You know, I noticed big differences because I'd be watching a critter or, you know, trying to put one to bed for the next morning, whatever it is, and I've got clients with me, and I was able to see things and they're saying, I don't, I, don't, I don't see it. Where is it? And they're looking and they're looking. And pretty soon I'm handing them my rifle and my binoculars so that they could, they could see the critter. And, and it becomes real apparent in some of those bad situations like that where the light just isn't helping you, but you got to pull this together. It's overcast. Right. It's real flat gray light. Uh, finding that contrast, that white throat patch on a deer uh, yeah. or an antler tip that's bedded back in some sagebrush. Um, I was able to see it better uh, just because of the way that, that the loophole optics. I've been a loophole guy even before I worked there, but uh, they allowed me to kind of cut through that stuff. And so yeah. now we're, we're really ramping that up and, and, and pushing harder and, and mostly trying to educate people on what was already going on there. Yeah. So, Well, and the, before we get into hunting stories, I'm going to do one last thing. And everyone who knows, Randy knows I sit on the board of directors of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. They know my my show, my podcast, my website, Hunt Talk, has a heavy conservation mix to it. Every one of my partners and my platforms are seriously involved in conservation. And I know you, I'm gonna probably embarrass you guys by forcing you to do this because you guys understate your commitment to conservation more than any of the partners I work with. And uh, <laughs> if you could see their 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 uh, faces right now, it's like Randy. Yeah, we do that because that's just where our heart is. A am I saying that right, Bruce? Is yeah, I, I mean, I think that it's uh, it's who we are, you know. And and so for us, you know, we we support a number of different organizations and 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 pretty pretty seriously support them. And 
And um, it's the right thing to do. And we probably could promote it more, I guess, or talk about it more. Um, but for us, it's it's kind of like no kidding. That's that's you know, that's our future. And and you know, I want my grandkids to have the same opportunities that I've had. And and uh, I care, you know, a lot about maintaining this this you know this hunting heritage that we have. Yeah. And it's one of the things that motivates me, you know, more than you'll probably ever know because it's a, it's a, you know, I love what RMEF has done with hunting as conservation. And yeah. I love to tell the story when I talk to friends or, or even just acquaintances about hunting and, and about what it means to conservation. Um, it's, it's really, it, you know, it was interesting that you brought this up because I had an opportunity with some, some friends from... Of the, they were out from New York City, this this out in Oregon visiting us, and and not not from a hunting family, and and it's actually acquaintance of my my girlfriends, and we were chatting about hunting, and they didn't have any idea, and I was able to to just briefly share, you know, what hunting does for conservation, and and what it does to, um, you know, really manage our resources in the right way, and it was shock shocking to see them. And they're like, I had no idea. I'm so supportive of that. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, we kind of think it's us and them out there sometimes. It's really not. Right. It's education. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's taken, taken our message as sportsmen and conservationists out there because most, most folks that are not hunters, they really care about that too. Yeah. You know, and, and I just think we got to, you know, we're going to continue to, we're going to continue to support that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've got some. You know some really cool things going on with Boone and Crockett Club too that we're doing. You know, in terms of kind of funding to help anti-poaching. Yeah. Because I think that's a real risk. Yeah. Well, um, if we don't, we got to control it. Yeah, and and you guys keep supporting it, and whether you want me to or not, I'm gonna keep telling the world how much you guys support it because it's, I I think it's important for people to understand that there are some companies that get it and reinvest in what we all love, hunting and conservation. And then there are some companies that just, you know, hey, the profit hit the bottom line and it's got to go back home overseas to the shareholders or to the conglomerate partner, parent or whatever. And I'm not going to name any names, but <laughs> let's face it, we, we all know that a lot of the family owned and a lot of the, the American based companies are pretty darn good supporters of conservation. And you guys are are at the top of that list and no, thank you we, we appreciate that so now before we get into the the, the last thing before I, i'm going to talk about uh, tim's deer hunt but before i do that i'm going to tell our audience about a product that or a service whatever you want to call it that i think you all should go and investigate it's uh called the insider by gohunt.com so many of you ask, Randy, how do you draw so many tags? Something's up. Something's rigged. You're putting money in the envelope. Well, there's a company actually based in, in Nevada called Go Hunt, and they have a service called The Insider. And if you go and check that out, you're going to see how Randy can get so much research done in such little time and be so effective in finding the places that he wants to hunt. So... If you get a chance, folks, go to GoHunt.com, click on the button that says Insider, and here's what you, the really good part is. There's a promo code called Hunt Talk, H-U-N-T 
T-A-L-K. And it's through Go Hunt that I researched this unit in in New Mexico that Bruce got. You're lucky, man. That was that was like <laughs> the most unreal elk hunt last year. That was year. fantastic. So yeah. it, it's kind of comparing that hunt to the hunt we did with Tim the year before. Tim's hunt. Yours was you just bought the leftover Montana elk deer combo tag. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Like, yeah, Tim emails me, he's like, you got any place we can go hunting this year? And it was like October, and I'm like, oh, man, let me think about that. Oh, yeah, let's go to Montana. And it started out as an elk hunt. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went and I scouted this spot. And uh, I, some of you listening may have uh, no, known where we were at, but the first time I drove in there, we drove in there with with it wasn't my truck i drove in there scouting with because people start recognizing that nissan titan and they're like hey newberg is here this is where he filmed that episode so i was trying to go undercover (laughs) on that hunt but then when tim shows up it's like 20 below zero i'm like you know what there aren't gonna be any people dumb enough to be up (laughs) up in the mountain right now so let's just go and so it when you hunt with somebody you really get to find out a lot about them. Um, you get to find out, they find out a lot about you too. Tim found out that I like to hunt around a fire when it's 20 below. <laughs> <laughs> but we uh, we went to this spot where in the past we've shot quite a few elk, but I, I don't know where they were, but man, we ran into the mule deer. We did. Holy cow. Yeah. That was, and, and, and doing TV here, so we, we're looking at mule deer after mule deer after mule deer. And, and Tim has hunted a lot and guided in Wyoming. So he shot some really nice mule deer. And I'm thinking, well, I don't care about these mule deer. I'm looking for elk. And, and then we had a camera guy with us, Tyler Johnerson. And he's got eyes like nobody I've ever hunted with. I, I mean, even today, he still films for me. And I he doesn't even need binoculars. I'm, I'm there with my binos and Tyler's like, oh yeah, there's a four by four over there, four miles away. I'm like, yeah, right. I can't even see it. But when, when Tyler says something like, you want to kill that buck? I, I say, okay, I'm going to pay attention. <laughs> and so he said that to Tim and, and gosh, I don't know what, how far across that Canyon was what, maybe 800 yards yeah i think when we when we ranged it it was 1200 yards yeah but down the canyon we had (laughs) to drop i can't remember how many vertical feet so it was 800 800 down and we're talking like in less than a quarter mile we're dropping and and we needed what two feet of snow on an old burned out hillside and, and and here's the other part about when you hunt with somebody and you see there is it your left knee or your right knee it was my left yeah Yeah. so i'm walking behind tim and i see this knee kind of going direction that's not supposed to i'm like hey tim what's the deal with your knee oh i didn't want to tell you that before we left the truck i got a trick knee here (laughs) (laughs) and i'm thinking how am i going to tell his wife that i left him down in this canyon if that trick knee doesn't work but and, and as if we didn't put him through enough with the cold temperatures and the terrible hike what, what did you think, Tim, when we got up there? And just as you're ready to pull the trigger, Tyler says, Wait, 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 battery died. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it's one of those things. We crawl up, look over. Oh, 
I'm not going to shoot it yet. Let's back back off, you know. And uh, it, it was it actually made it a lot of fun. It gave me a chance to settle down a little bit too. I was, I was getting <laughs> getting you know amped up. Get, I was ready there. You know, get to the top of the hill. Going to look down and and find him. And it went to plan. And then, hey guys, camera's frozen. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, what do we do? We, we back back out. Yeah. It's got to be real, right? So we backed out. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, Tim looked at me like. Do you guys just do this to guest hunters just for the hell of it, or what's the deal here? But really, folks, what happens is when it gets super cold, you can't put your eye up against the eyepiece of your camera because it'll just fog up because of the heat and the moisture. So we end up then a lot of times having to use the the viewfinders, the actual LCD screens. And I remember Tyler saying... I don't know if the footage is turning out because the LCD screens froze. <laughs> we had no idea. It was blues and purples and reds and all kinds of stuff. And, and then the other thing that happens with camera batteries is uh, we have meters on them that will say 200 minutes left. But when it's super cold, it'll go from 200 minutes to zero just that quick. Yep. And so we get them all set up. And Tyler's like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 dead battery, dead battery. <laughs> and uh, But you ended up making a great shot, Tim, and it made a great episode, I, I thought. It was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was everything that a, you know, a Western hunt should be, right? You got some cold, there was a little adversity in the terrain. It was, it was fantastic. It was yeah, great. and one of those lucky instances where when you walk up to it, there's no ground shrinkage. Yeah. And, and for Montana, I mean, in Montana, we hunt mule deer in the rut with a rifle. So age class, you really got to get in some of these ugly places that other hunters don't want to go yeah. in order to, to find that age class. And so if anyone has seen that episode, that was that was a superb mule deer. It's that was a great mule deer. It was, it was it, a lot of fun. It, it, it was. It still is the biggest mule deer we've ever shot on the show, and, <laughs> and it probably will. Well, as long as Randy's pulling the trigger, it'll probably <laughs> stay there as the biggest mule deer that we've ever shot on the show. But so we we had that hunt with you, which was a just public land, general over the counter, anyone could go do it kind of hunt, and then we end up going to New Mexico with Bruce. And he ends up in this great unit, still all public land. And I'd never been there. I hadn't scouted it, nothing. We show up there, what, on a Friday afternoon, I think? Yeah, we Seats. got there. Season open Saturday? Yeah. Something like yep. that? Day before opening. Yeah. Were, uh... And then we'd seen some bulls, and we go in in the dark, and they're just bugling and screaming. I, I didn't think they'd be bugling that late into the season, but they were there. And Oh, yeah, no doubt. We're, we're chasing bugles. Randy hangs a, a hard left when he should have went straight ahead. So at daylight, we pop out on a ridge, and we're about a mile away from where we'd planned to be, thanks to, to, to Randy's uh, navigation skills. And I'm cussing myself, and Bruce is like, man, it's not the end of the world. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, no, we needed to be over on that ridge over there. And so I don't know. I, I guess sometimes the excitement gets the best of you, which is the fun of hunting. I mean, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's... It's it's funny, Randy, because you know I was as I was hunting with you. Um, first of all, I enjoyed it. You know, just to as you know, I've done a few different of these shows. You know, television shows and hunting shows. And and what I'll say about hunting with you is it's 
um, and, and this is a, I, I mean, this is an ultimate compliment. When you're, when you're hunting with Randy, it's, 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 it's like you're hunting and you're not on a show. And that's something special. Um, it really is, you know, because, um, you know, first of all, you can't, Tyler's amazing. Yeah. And he's right there and he's fit. And so you don't have to worry about dragging someone. Yeah. You know, when you're there, he's there. Um, but it's just a, a great experience to be out there. And, and I was thinking about it a couple of times when you had the reactions that you had, like us not being in the right spot. And I was thinking, man, that's exactly what I would have done. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, so I knew how to react. Yeah, well, you told me that. You said, oh, man, if I was leading, we'd be even further off. I'm like, you're just saying that to be nice to me. But actually, it turned out pretty good because we, by the time we finally got out to that ridge, the light was up good. And what did we spot? Like 30 different bulls from yeah that? i mean it, people uh, think no. we're exaggerating but we're not yeah, no it, it was uh it was jurassic park of, of yeah, elk yeah. and they were just bull after bull after bull and and, and, and big bulls right and not yeah. a single hunter no but, but they were smarter we, than we, we know are. why yeah <laughs> now so so now the rest of the story we're sitting on this ridge that randy finally got us to glassing through the the gold ring there the spotter and I tell Bruce, I'm like, man, that looks like a good bull. He looks in the spotting scope. He says, I'm killing that bull. <laughs> and I'm looking at the topo lines on my GPS. I'm like, do you realize that it's 1,100 feet off this ridge? And it's, what was it, 800 feet back up the other, 600-something yeah. feet up the other side? Yeah. And it's a burn. It's all, the wind's now blow, all blowing it down. And we only have to go, according to my GPS, uh, from where we're sitting to where the bull is, three-quarter of a mile, a horizontal distance. So we leave our little perch at 10 in the morning, and you finally get in shooting position at 5 in the afternoon. Yeah. yeah. So it takes us seven hours to go a three-quarter of a mile. Yeah, there was no easy way to go. <laughs> there was. But I know you. I know you particularly enjoyed the whatever sticker, crazy sticker bush that was that we had to just plow through. What is that? I don't know, but but, but clearly, it was the sharpest stickers. <laughs> they went through everything. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I look down at my arms. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And it's like someone has beaten me with rose bushes yeah. or something. I mean, yeah. I am bleeding so bad. Yeah. And, and for my liver medication, I'm on kind of this blood thinner anyhow. I'm like, well, maybe I'll just bleed to death down here, and then I won't have to walk out of here. But I don't know what they are. They look like an aspen tree, but they got a spine on them about, yeah, they, what, inch and a half yeah, long? Yeah. And somehow I drug us through a big mess of those for a I, long ways. They were everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And, and, fine, they, and it was steep. Yeah, it was really, really steep. Yeah. And so I'm thinking by the time we get there, that bull is gone. This, Randy let us down some ugly face. And so we get to the bottom. We we filter some water. And then we start hiking to get in shooting position. And here's this really nice bull standing there bugling at us at, what, 140, 160 yeah. yards? Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, Bruce, please shoot that one. He's not as big, but please shoot him. And Bruce is like, no. I said I wanted that one, and that's the one we're going after. And Tyler and I are looking at each other because we've, we've had so many of these instances where we've walked away from the gift in hopes of the dream, and the dream isn't there when we show up. And But so it was, it was an amazing experience to go and do that. And 
Well, let's see. Five o'clock, we get set up. What was it, Bull? Four, 404 yards? Yeah, it's 404. When we found him. Yep. And, and uh, we couldn't get any closer. No, we couldn't because all I mean, those burned trees. I mean, we had that one narrow shooting lane, and that was it. Yeah, I mean, I'm always for, you know, I mean, I, I enjoy the stock more than anything. And so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll keep going right. if I think I can without creating, you know, a situation where you're going to gonna run, run an elk off. Yeah. And, uh, and so just, but we were just at the, there was nowhere we could go the, the, the way the situation was. And, yeah. and, um, it was start we're starting to lose light. Yeah. And so it was, uh, you know, I was, I, I've told Tim the story, you know, generally, you know, magnification, I'm, I can hunt, you know, with a lower magnification, but having that, I had a VX six, three to 18 is what I used on that. Yeah. Hunt. And I will tell you, it was phenomenal. And it was great to be out there and, and, and do that because to be able to, to really, the lane we had to shoot in, as you know, was just super oh, tight. Right. And, but I'll, I'll tell you what was neat is getting down and getting in position. And, 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 and we hadn't spooked him, so we knew we had some time to kind of set up. And I, I particularly wanted to at that distance and be able to get, you know, where really almost the only thing I could see was his shoulder, yeah. <laughs> which was perfect, right? <laughs> it worked out perfect. But yeah. I could see it clean as day. I mean, it was, it was plain as day and knew where it was, and it worked yeah. out good. Oh, it, it did. And, and so here's the rest of the fun, folks. We, uh, <clears throat> Bruce shoots the bull. We go down there. We break it down. We quarter it up. And uh, we're trying to figure out how we're going to get this thing out of here because <laughs> it's dark now. And we got to get it out of this finger canyon down to the main canyon. <clears throat> and cameraman Tyler, he's been on many sheep hunts, and he's like, "This isn't going to work, guys. We got to find a wrangler." So he knew somebody down there, uh, and called, and the guy said, "Yeah, here I know this outfitter who does some packing and hauling stuff out. Call him." Well, well the first, uh, the, the amazing thing, I know I didn't have any service at all, right? But he did. Yeah. So the luck of the fact that we happened to be facing some way that there was some crazy cell tower <laughs> located around there. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just, right. that's just pure luck. Yeah. Because we got, we got lucky there. Yeah. And yeah. so the, the Wrangler says, all right, if you guys can haul the, the antlers out and yeah. get all of the meat down to the bottom of the canyon, I'll come in tomorrow with my horses. And he's like, where are you guys at? And we're giving him the coordinates. And he's like, there hasn't been anyone in there for six years. He said no one goes in right. there. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did you guys get in there? And we're explaining to him how we got in there. He's like, oh, my God. He said, this, this is not good. And he says, I tell you what, we'll pick you guys up. You can't get out of that canyon in the dark. You, you got to come out the other end from where our truck was parked. So we hiked and... 2.30 in the morning, we come out to another forest service road. And I remember, like, every hour, Bruce is looking, he's asking me, because I'm running the GPS, he's like, how much further? And every time, I'm like, eh, my GPS only says, like, two miles. <laughs> he's like, hey, Newberg, you told me that four hours ago. <laughs> and so it's 2.30 in the morning. We'd left camp at 4.30 in the morning. 2.30 in the next morning, we emerge from this canyon and the GPS says we're 10 miles from the truck. Yeah. Thank God uh, Joseph was there. Yeah, that, that was a smart move going. It was tough getting out that way, but yeah, because there was no real trail. I mean, we lost the trail a number of times. It just wasn't yeah. anything there. And, and 
and even what you know so it was kind of like doing uh it was kind of like doing squats for for four or five hours <laughs> you know just every particular stump you're going over and then yeah. retracing your steps because you can't get through that way and yeah so so it was uh we, we earned it that was that was fun that was, and i think with all those hunts especially for me the hunts i remember are the ones that are kind of like the ones i had with you guys you know whether it's weather terrain just something that you have to overcome that if you knew how tough it was going to be to start with, you probably would have said, nah, I'll shoot a spike over here by the trail. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think it's going to make a great episode. And the like before we turned on the podcast, Bruce said, man, it's amazing we didn't break more equipment and more bodies on that hunt. And I'm thinking the same thing because I, I messed up my knee that night. And... Uh, Bruce, we, we, we're walking down the canyon. The, the river slash creek is still going down the canyon. And so we're having in the dark walk down this canyon on slippery, slimy rocks. Yeah. And uh, I'm, whole, I'm picking up the trail. And Tyler's in the lead because he's got night vision like nobody I know. And all of a sudden, I hear some noise, and I see Bruce's headlamp pointing straight up <laughs> in the sky. And I look, and here he is kind of floundering to get off his back because he's got these antlers on this big set of elk antlers on his back and he's laying in the middle of the creek or <laughs> river whatever you want to call it waddling rolling back and forth trying to get out of there and i'm like oh gosh we need to get this on film but by that time i think we're just too tired for yeah we were yeah the hell with it <laughs> tyler was beelining at that point he's like yeah. we gotta get out of here boys it's yeah time. no it's so I, the question to that becomes, when are we going back? I'm ready. <laughs> I am ready. And the reason that I'm ready is, is you and I both know this. We shot a really great bull. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I, you know, in fact, that bull, I don't know if you've seen it, but we put it, there's a picture of, of me with a letter to our customers, and, and it's in the catalog. Oh, really? So our bulls no, I haven't yeah, seen it's it. Yeah, it's pretty neat. But, huh. but um, and, and really, because it's a, you know, it's a, I mean, that's a nice public land bull. Wow. Yeah, that's Whoa, look at that. Huh, Tim just showed me the catalog. <laughs> yeah. Epic moments. Huh. I notice, man, that's a that's a bigger smile than it is a, uh, an outcrack. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, I had to find one, one where I was smiling and not cringing, right? <laughs> um, but, but, the, uh, but you and I both know in that particular unit, there's even bigger bulls. Right. Oh, yeah, right. We, sure. we, there's bulls in there that you just right. got to be willing to. And now we know a little bit more. Yeah. And I, I think if if most people went into places like that as much as I don't know, you're, you might have to bribe me to go back in there. Um, <laughs> it, it's not necessarily always the unit that has the big bull as much as it can just be the terrain. And yeah, it's that area. When you're hunting public land like we do, um, you guys know it's a lot of times it's either distance or topography that let animals get old and right. in the case for us there it was it was topography not distance and i i don't know it's just it's it's hunts like that that for me are are defining about why i hunt and and what i get out of it yeah you get the food you get you know all that yeah but 
the story and the I mean I I don't know how many times I've told the story but three years from now that's gonna be a story that I, I can't imagine what kind of exaggerations I'm gonna come up with between now and then you know <laughs> oh, yeah. we, we probably hobbled out of there with broken legs and you know <laughs> who knows what it was 40 below and grizzly bears chased us even though there aren't any grizzly bears in New Mexico <laughs> I know but hey <laughs> you know that's hunting that's what makes it a good story but well I'll tell you I just got uh you know, I guess about I don't know, maybe 45 days ago, got got the uh, elk meat up from New Mexico. From oh yeah, elk and yeah. I've never had an elk taste better. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it always tastes a little better when you earn it. Oh, there, there's no doubt about that. But you know, a lot of the hunts that we go on, uh, well, they're all public land and they're all self-guided. But every one of them have that little bit of just that. I, uh, how would I say it? The memorable event, and what did you guys call it? Making no epic moments is is what's in your catalog. Yeah. I think anyone who hunts, it might not be the size of the animal, right? It might not be the shot. It might be whatever. But I think that's part of why we hunt is there's yeah, an absolutely. epic moment to to every every adventure. Yeah, I have and, two sons, you know, and and uh, both are adults now, and and um. We talk, you know, it's funny whenever we're, we're uh, talking about, you know, things that we've done or epic moments, it always comes back to hunting for us, you know, yeah. and talking about this trip or that trip or do you remember when we were here? And, and most of the time it isn't about killing anything that's, right. that's big yeah. or, you know, this yeah. size or that size. It's about that experience that created that epic moment together. And, and that's what's cool, man. That's what, that's what we all, you yeah. know with friends family we we that's why we do this yeah and you know tim and his wife have three hunting age kids at the house and mm -hmm. when my son went off to college i thought my wife was the person who was going to be walking around heartbroken. finally this was in 2008 so that's the year we started the tv show and i think my wife was glad i started the tv show because during hunting season i was walking around and one day she said you know what? i think i'm gonna have to rent you a teenager for hunting season that's great <laughs> that's perfect <laughs> but yeah. now i see tim you and reza are i mean you guys are in the thick of it and that yeah that's a special time for for anyone in in hunting when you get to be out there with young hunters or new hunters yeah it's that's some of my favorite times. You know, you're talking about uh, when Bruce had the slip in the fall with the elk antlers, you know, on, on his back. I, I took uh, two of the three uh, hunting blacktail this, this last fall. And it was typical Western Oregon downpour weather, you know, and um, finding those things is tough. But it turned into a family event. We're all out there, you know, in that downpour, glassing at first light. And we have to glass for a couple hours, and we're working up a a closed logging road um, and we you know it, it was great we find a buck bedded in there all the kids get to to look through the spotting scope see it laying there um, we actually left my my son we were gonna have to go up the road farther about a mile to come back uh, in to be able to get into a shooting position in that canyon that it was in and so we uh, we left my son who's 10 on the spotting scope and uh, with with a radio yeah and then my daughter and I because she was old enough to have have her own tag uh, went up and, and started cutting down into this canyon and it's you know it was clear cut five six years ago so yeah. the, the brush is getting pretty pretty thick and we got down in there and she made a, a fantastic shot and we we got the buck and 
walk back down, get my son, get the pack frame, you know, because it's not going to be easy getting them out of there. It's a lot of vertical in Western Oregon. Yeah. Um, but to me, uh, we hadn't even gotten to the deer yet. You know, I went back and, and got pack frame so I could bring this thing out. And my son wanted to carry it. So here's this uh, this 10-year-old covered in, in orange with a pack frame that's about the same size as he is <laughs> headed down in there and you, you know that stuff trips you and he tripped and went down and if you've seen on a christmas story where the kid falls down and yeah, he's flopping around up. and can't get up yeah. my son goes down and i can just see the hands sticking out from each side of the pack frame and he can't he's he's rolling around and i had to just i had to stop and get a picture everybody's laughing you know and it was uh our epic moment was made in getting into that deer um together getting it out was equally difficult but it was that time together right yeah. and uh, and they're just so proud to tell those stories they they tell them when we have christmas parties and, and other things it's you know they get out the book and they show yeah. the picture and it's well here's the deer but here let me tell you the story and they put the picture away yeah you know? and, and that's to me that's what it's all about and it is and you know that i think in the hunting world we have a tendency at times to get caught up in whether it's archery hunting or rifle hunting is it public land or private land is it guided or self-guided and you know when it really comes down to it i don't know that any of that makes any difference yeah you're right all i care about is someone is out there hunting Mm -hmm. sharing the experience with friends with new hunters their kids whoever and they're interested in carrying on what we call a tradition and it's hunting. And, and when you stand back and look at it, do you know, uh, those crazy little infighting things we get, seems like hunters at times get involved with. It's like, hold on people. Let's look at this from a bigger picture. I, and I don't know. It totally agree. It, it, yeah. When I, when I hear that, it, it disappoints me. Um, but yet I understand the passion that all of us have. Yeah. But I think there's just times where who really cares? It, it, you know, everybody gets to define their hunt to how they want it. It's your tag. You do it however you want and call it good. Yep. You know. And, but if I need to rent one of your teenagers, Tim, <laughs> I, I don't know what the fee is, but my wife said she, <laughs> she's willing to pay it. But. Well, she would love so, to go, I can tell you that. Oh, yeah? yeah oh, yeah. She's, she lives it and breathes it. It's bobcat season and coyotes and everything else. So she, she tries to hunt 365 if she can. Really? We're out there. My, and my boy's getting into it, but it's tough terrain, right? Eight, it's yeah. tough for him to, to get through that timber. His legs just aren't long enough yet. Right. But, yeah. but he goes. And so I, I'm sure we can find you some partners there. Okay. So <clears throat> we're, we're getting close to the end here. Um, but I never let anyone go without kind of putting them on the spot. And uh, so I'll start with you, Bruce. If, if, if they said, Bruce, you have one tag that you get to hunt, and that's the only thing you get to hunt, you get to hunt it every year for the rest of your life, where's Bruce going to be hunting and what's it going to be? Wow. Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> I know. It's almost not fair because it's yeah. it's like saying I only get to eat one type of meal the rest of yeah, my life. That's really it, tough. But for me, everyone knows that if it was rifle hunting, Randy's probably going antelope hunting just because mm-hmm. something about it. And I love to yeah. eat them. But you know, I'm always interested in what hunting experiences bring someone to where they are in their hunting life. That, yeah, I that, you, you know I'm a Colorado guy and that's where I'm from and and so I guess if you had to that's a really tough question but if you had to it'd be mule deer yeah western 
you yeah. know, being out there and, and I just, I think it's such a great hunt and, yeah. and, uh, done a lot of it in, in Eastern Colorado and I just enjoy it. Yeah. I just enjoy being out there and, and, uh, so, so for me, mule deer is probably it. Okay. So when you, next season, when it airs on TV and you see Randy miss a humongous mule deer buck on the West slope, you're going to call me and say, where was that? <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh, I'm still uh, I'm really. Almost, I'm almost embarrassed right now to think about it. It's I. We were elk hunting actually. I had the yeah. deer tag, yeah. but we said, "Oh, the first two days we're going to elk hunt, and then the last five days we'll we'll deer hunt." So, I'm glassing, looking through the spotting scope, and I'm like, "Holy crap, that's a big deer!" So. I, I asked the camera guy, I'm like, look through the spotter here. Tell me if that deer is as big as you th as I think it is. He's like, we got to kill that deer. And so we run off the mountain up the other side. And by the time we get there, obviously it's dark and we don't see him. So we set up on that deer for the next three days. And in the process, some really nice bucks. Bucks bigger than any buck I would have ever killed come by. But it becomes this me against him. It, it's once you, once, and it, I don't know if I, if by saying me against him is the right term, but it's just that's what I wanted out of the hunt. Yeah. Because I knew it was going to be hard. I knew where he lived it was going to be a challenge. And finally, the fourth day, we, we pretty much give up on it. And we're like, well, let's go walk across this big burn. And sure enough, he's feeding out there. And we got like 15 minutes of daylight left. And... We got to run down this burn, get set up. The grass is too high, so I can't get in the prone position. So I just got to sit on my butt and sit my mystery ranch pack there and put the, the fore end of the rifle on top of that. And it's 375 yards. And, and I practice this all the time. So I don't have any excuses. I mean, when you shoot as much as I do and you have the equipment I do, you should make this shot, Randy. And I don't care if it's just this little window in the burn or whatever. And so the first shot, the buck flinches and jumps up in there. I don't even put another round in. I'm like, he's dead. And Tyler's like, no, he's walking. I'm like, wow, he's going to fall over. He's like, no, he's standing behind another tree. I'm like, I know that. So I'm like, well, fine, I'll shoot again. And so I try to thread it. And in these burns, when that pinion juniper stuff burns, there are a lot more limbs than you think mm -hmm. there are. Mm -hmm. So the second shot, I clip a little limb, and he jumps, and I'm thinking I hit him again. And we watch that buck walk away. Like, he wasn't even bothered. So... Anyhow. Wow. We went and put the footage up. <laughs> we went to the TV... <laughs> That that night, went to a hotel room, put it on the TV, and the first shot, I just took a little bit of hair off his back when we blew it up. We could see that, and oh, gosh. Uh, you had to say meal. When you were talking about Colorado and meal deer, that went through my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and so now I, I turned to the camera the next morning when we couldn't find any blood, nothing. I said, you know, I feel like the field goal kicker that the pressure's on him to win the game. Yeah, it's a 50-yard field goal with a crosswind, and it's a hard kick, but you're supposed to make the kick. That's that's what you're supposed to do. And I was wide right by about six inches. <laughs> <laughs> and being a Vikings fan, if you, if you watch the Vikings lose to the Seahawks a yeah. couple of weeks ago, 
couldn't be a more fitting analogy right now. Yeah. Well, the good so. news is we've all done that, right? So uh, I've yet to meet any of, uh, at least any of the, the, any of my friends and the folks yeah. that I hunt with that we haven't had that same kind of situation. So but, it's, but good do, to, it's good to know you're human. Yeah, but do they put it on national TV? <laughs> no, when they do? no, they're not dumb enough to do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now with that story burning a little time, Tim, I guess I'm going to put you on the spot. You only got one tag, one Yep. You get to hunt it every year, but nothing else, just that. It is. Uh, it's a tough question, but I, I knew my answer immediately. It's elk. Oh, really? Yep. Okay. I love. There's just something about where they live, and you know, the bugling, and yeah. It's just it's the the whole experience of being, you know. Again, it's western. I kind of like that, that yep. open country. So, uh, hands down, elk. I'll, yeah. I'll chase them every year, as, as long as I'm able. Yeah. Yep. Well. I, I say that. I've told my wife that I'm going to do this backpack elk hunting until I'm 65. That means i got 14 years left. And if you drag me through another canyon like that, Bruce, <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to do it until I'm age 55. But. And w when you say elk, Tim, I, if with a bow, it would be no question elk, mm -hmm. just because of the interaction and the, the, yeah. just the every sensory feeling you have is so amplified when a bull elk is screaming at you yeah. i mean and the challenge and the physical demand they're awesome places on you it's like incredible and i've asked this question to other people and they're like well bighorn sheep i'm like well yeah i, I don't i've never drawn a bighorn sheep tag so i i really can't yeah. speak to that but so but uh I'm going to do another little piece here, and then I'm going to ask both Bruce and Tim their closing comments. And mine usually focus around marital advice, but I'm going to, I'm going to get away from marital advice <laughs> on this one. But uh, before we do that, I want to talk about another great company that a lot of you in it. I know earlier I said through the Go Hunt and Insider, it helps me draw a lot of tags because I need anywhere from 10 to 15 tags a year between me and friends to do a TV show that requires 10 to 12 episodes. And there's another company called Onyx Maps. They make this these map, uh, digital maps, both for your GPS or for your cell phone that are just unbelievable. Um, They're great. They are yeah, fantastic. And we I both mean, use them. Yeah, and Tim, you, uh, you guided in Wyoming, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. so you know how that whole land ownership pattern is solving that is yeah. the big riddle. Yep. And for me, I love a state like Wyoming because in their regulations, it has the little red asterisks <laughs> that says, do not apply here because uh, access is difficult. And those are the places I used to, I, I never applied there because I'm like, well, how am I gonna solve that riddle? Well, then along comes Onyx Maps. And I'm like, this is a game changer. So now, those are the places I apply. So I draw a lot more tags than I used to yep. because most people are, just stay away from that. And when I draw, usually because of the public-private interface, the hunting pressure's less and the age class is better. Yep. And I, I know this is a shameless plug, but the Onyx Maps guys, I mean, when I first bought the product, I, some guys at Sportsman's Warehouses, mm -hmm. I, I saw it. I'm like, you know, I've been reading about this. Does it really work? He's like, yeah, I think so. I'm like, oh, he thinks so. Great. So <laughs> I'm like, all right, for whatever it was, $90 or $89, I'm like, you know what? I spill that much coffee in a season. I'm, I'm, I'm going to see if it works. 
and I plugged it into my GPS, and I am like, I hope no one else buys this. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> but anyhow, the Onyx Map guys, go to onyxmaps.com. Uh, they go by Team Hunt out on Instagram. Uh, amazing product. It is a game changer for me. Um, I'll never be hunting without it. And they're also great supporters of conservation and all that we do. So, but with that, um, you know, you guys, Tim, you got any final thoughts you want to leave the audience with? You know, I, I, I really don't. I appreciate the the time, you know, for us to come spend it with you. I appreciate being out in the field with you. And, <laughs> and uh, now it's uh, for for those that are listening. Um, hunting with randy is is amazing um you know i was fortunate enough to be there with tyler as well but it's it's the real deal it's what you see and what you're seeing on on tv is exactly how it happened um you know bruce talked about it a little bit but it's it's just you get to just go hunt um and and you do it the hard way uh, which is the fun way and and off you go and so i mostly just want to thank you oh well thank you tim and it you know that both of you have said that it, it kind of strikes me when you say that because I don't see how other shows do it. I, I, I don't really know because I'm not there. But for us, it's it's a heavy demand on our camera guys because one, they got to keep up physically. And the elk or the deer doesn't get to read a script. You know, it, it, it's, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to happen. And you got to be ready. Yeah. And if something goes snare wire, we show it. I mean, it, being the editor for our show isn't that difficult because if it happens out there, yeah, you might have to do a few bleeps and hit the bleeper button when <laughs> we really get upset, But and our editor does a great job, but we're not there trying to make it anything it's not. Because our whole goal is to show the audience this is how hunting happens on the public lands of America. And I think that's why we can get by with, on a lot of episodes, a miss, like I talked about in Colorado, or maybe we don't get one most often. Yeah, we do punch a tag. But for us, we're just trying to show how hunting happens for the average American. And and I, I'm probably not the guy to do that because I'm way below average. But, hey, we'll try to meet average. That's Randy's goal in life. But anyhow, Bruce, you got, got any final comments? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think I just want to, you know, first of all, you know, thank you for your partnership with with you know, Loophole, um, and I sincerely mean that. It's um, we we're as you know, Randy, we're pretty selective with with the 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 folks that we associate with and partner with, and and um, you know, your commitment to conservation and your willingness to take a stand yeah. when others won't. <laughs> um, um, you know is appreciated yeah. and we share the same passions you and i had um a number of great conversations it was i don't think we ever had a time where we were um not talking with each other about something that had to do with hunting or conservation our yeah. entire trip and i i enjoyed that yeah. because we we have you know like passions in that and so your partnership means means a ton to us and and the other thing too is um you know we we you know we are america's hunters how we look at at what we do i mean we have a, a global business but the reality of it is is our business is really focused in the united states and and on the american hunter yeah and the fact that that we can support someone who, ha- who has a, a a show and a and really a company that supports public hunting 
to the extent that, that you do and really promotes it, and um, I think is tremendous. Yeah. I think it's tremendous. It's so needed, and we're just we're just happy to continue to support you in any way that we can. So well, I appreciate. I, I know you'll that. let us know what we can do, but we we yeah. certainly appreciate all you do. Well, thank you, and and I'll close this off, folks, with kind of going off what Bruce said there. A lot of you email me or out on our Hunt Talk forum. Uh, if you go to hunttalk.com, you'll hear Randy, or even on this podcast, you'll read or hear Randy say some things that are pretty strong statements that many of you say, Randy, why don't the rest of the outdoor TV people stand up and talk about this? Why aren't we hearing from them? And I said this on a podcast I had with Don Thomas that I'm lucky in that I own my platforms. You know, I, I, I don't report to a whole bunch of other people. Uh, my wife could fire me. Uh, and when she's tired of the, the platforms, I'm, I guess I'm fired then. Um, but in order to provide a strong message on public lands, to speak out and not feel like someone's going to pull the rug out from you when you say what needs to be said or what you, you, at least you, what you think needs to be said, you need partners who are committed to you. And if I had a partner in our show, um, I, that tried to, a thumb on me or put a muzzle on me i'd say you know what thanks but you can go 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 find somebody else because randy newberg is doing this for a lot of reasons and i i'm trying to hopefully provide a platform for the average hunter for the public lands of america and how important they are and you know, you guys have never wavered once. I mean, I know I've said some things and taken some positions where you guys have probably gotten some emails to say, why are you with this screwball Newberg guy? He, he, you know, he's out there in the weeds. But so for those of you listening, one, I appreciate you listening, but I just want to emphasize how it wouldn't be possible for me to have a podcast called Randy Newberg Unfiltered. And for me to go off unfiltered at times without the support of companies like Leupold. And uh, I thank you guys for that support. And I know our listeners are thankful that you guys want people out there saying and advocating for their cause. Yeah, well, we appreciate it. So, Anyhow, folks, thanks for listening. Um, anything you want to know about us and our platforms, go to randynewberg.com, whether it's our TV show, Fresh Tracks with Randy Newberg, the podcast, Randy Newberg Unfiltered, and uh, the Hunt Talk Forum. The new one that you're going to be seeing and, and uh, figuring out is there. Uh, our new YouTube channel, we just launched the series called Elk Talk. Um, if you go to YouTube... Uh, the Randy Newberg Hunter YouTube channel. Um, every week we're releasing a new, anywhere from five to eight minute YouTube video. Our goal is to teach you everything you need, whether you're a new elk hunter, wannabe elk hunter, uh, you know, someone who just got into it or someone who's been doing it a long time. The process is we talk about drawing systems, we talk about all the Western states. And then we're going to talk about leftover tags, general tags, over-the-counter tags. And when it's done, hopefully you have a tag to go elk hunting. And then from that, we're going to talk about our system for pre-scouting, how we go about determining where we're going to hunt, what we need to hunt. And that hopefully by, by sometime in early September, when the series kind of comes to its end, 
we've given you all the information that you need to increase the likelihood of success. And our goal, as we've said, is one, we want you to get a tag from, from the Elk Talk information we give you, and hopefully you're going to fill a tag. So thanks for listening, folks. Bruce, Tim, thanks so much. Leupold, appreciate all you do.